Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast. This is the 15th attempt to start this podcast, so I'm not going to say anything other than here's me, John and Hannah talking about football. Hannah, we entertained QPR last night, or did we? Yeah, I think we did. Um, I think uh, it was definitely an improvement. I mean, so my my scale, I didn't get to watch the Stoke game. I was at work, but I did see the Burnley game. And so I think um, that was a pretty low bar to compare it to. And it wouldn't have taken much to be better than that. So um, I don't think I'm saying much to say that it, it was <laughs> it was better than that game. Um I was, you know what, I was pleasantly surprised. I am slightly confused this morning because I did have a quick look on Twitter to see sort of the general um, sort of response to it and the the general vibe uh, on there, which perhaps was a mistake. But uh, And I was surprised by how much, I don't know, I shouldn't be surprised by this, should I, but how negative uh, it was. Um, and I saw, you know, people sort of saying, yeah, actually, I thought we were right uh you know again it was it was patchy i think everyone can can see that that we are struggling to string together sustained um you know coherent sort of performances but i'd say the first kind of half an hour was pretty decent last maybe 10 minutes or so pretty decent and qpr are a good team you know you're not going to have 90 minutes of you know beautiful dominant aggressive attacking lovely football uh against the fellow promotion my watch just not not really gonna happen um so yeah I, I was personally surprised I thought it was an improvement I guess the question is you know was it it still didn't didn't live up to the expectations that a lot of people have for this team um and I think that that is kind of the the crunch issue at the moment is that there seems to be a bit of um, a question mark over what those expectations are and are we, is it being realistic to just sort of accept that maybe we're not automatic promotion contenders anymore um, or is that a kind of lowering of of standards that is emblematic of, you know, this kind of rot that is starting to set in at the club? I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting point that expectations are... Uh, maybe misaligned in some quarters. I also took a look to see what the overall reaction was, um, and I I thought the people who who are who are Smith out were maybe harsher than than I certainly was, and the people who are um, uh, very defensive of 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 the current regime, coaching wise, um, were, were were probably likewise a bit too rosy. I, I sit somewhere in the middle. Um, it was far better in the first 15 to 20 minutes last night than we have seen pretty much other than the Preston game all the season. I'd say that's probably our second best half of football this season. Um, the, 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 the worry, and I did see this well articulated last night on the old socials of media, is that we it was just another game. Actually, when you look at it over 90 minutes, it was another game where we had our one good spell. And and it wasn't we huffed and puffed a bit in the second half, um, but my goodness me, we, we we went back to very slow passes across the back four that didn't uh, progress anywhere, and that back four got got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and QPR pushed us more and more and more until eventually it was gun hitting it long, um, and it, I actually think that the expectations are right to be high, based on the little kind of explosions of good play that we did have both last night and throughout this season that the fact that we were able to score a couple of really nice goals against Stoke which we'll come to in in a second um and the fact that we were in the first 10 to 15 minutes last night against QPR playing some one touch football and being brave and playing progressive passes and not just taking the immediately safe option of immediately turning back towards our own goal and passing it across and um, so I'm uh, I, I am still of the opinion that this is an underperforming squad, um, but I saw more for the coaching team to build on um, last night against QPR than I did against Stoke. What say you, punty, 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 delicious? Mm, I mean, it's certainly better than the Stoke performance. There's, there's no getting away from that. I, I would actually, in terms of a performance, I, I've also looked on the social media and I thought there was quite a lot of negativity towards that performance, a bit like, 
um, Hannah's comments and I didn't really get it. I think, and this this isn't necessarily a compliment if you put it in, you know, in the full context of, of the way in which it's meant, I thought it was our best 90-minute performance of the season. And I, I can't point to another game where actually I think we've been near the levels required for a, as large a percentage of the game as last night. And and uh, let's let's be positive. We created big chances. Dean Smith is very keen on XG. We absolutely battered them on XG. I think it was near two goals for us and like half a goal for, for QPR. Um, there was promising performances from forward players. I thought Todd Cantwell offensively was really good. Defensively, I, th- I think maybe he neglected a couple of his duties on occasions, but actually was was really good going forward. Aaron Ramsey showed promise in fits and starts. Gabriel Sara picked up some really interesting positions and actually physically looked like he was adapting to the task a bit more than he has in previous starts. I mean, gave so the ball away nine times there. in the first half. Sarah, there was a, there was a lot dreadful. Uh, yeah, I still just don't agree with that. I think, I think physically, I think he was way more up for the battle than than I'd seen in in previous games, and he was putting in. But he was harrying people. He was pressing people. He was winning the ball back in in certain scenarios. Um, but anyway, you but know, he gave the of... ball away nine times. Pump. The, 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 we, we kept the, the, the moves kept breaking down because of Sarah giving the ball away nine times in the space of about twenty minutes. We counted it. Okay, so in terms of other output, I thought it was very good. In terms of the positions that he picks up, um, you know, and late runs into the box and all those kinds of things, there's there's something to work with. So yeah, I do think you know it's as, as good a ninety minute performance as we've put together this season. That's a worry because it wasn't brilliant, and you know we're now what eighteen games in, nineteen games in, something along those lines. And you're right, Tom. There was some slow and ponderous play, and my issue with it, I guess, is that whenever we play with urgency, whenever we play with zip, whenever we play with bravery, we look like we can carve teams open. We look like we can create the chances required to win games. And we did create enough chances to win that game last night, you know, hit the post twice. Pookie had a, you know, brilliant save that, you know, the QPR keeper pulled off. Um, You know, there were other really presentable opportunities. All right, QPR had their moments and Angus Gunn had to make a couple of excellent saves. But, you know, on the balance of play, we definitely deserved three points against a team that was above us in the league you know we should be able to take the positives out of that but you just know that there's so much more you just know that actually if we can start to go through the gears if we can click there is enough talent there is enough potential that you know we should be able to play quicker we should be able to you know kind of to to play through the lines and and go from front to back you know way quicker than we have and it, it is it feels like it's about tempo to me now it feels like it's about urgency and energy and I'm not necessarily sure we we had enough of that last night I think maybe in some of that is as well as just you've got a few players who I don't know how Isaac Hayden got through however you know what was it about 75 minutes 80 minutes something along those lines before he was he was hooked he looked dead on about 35 minutes you know there was some interesting substitutions and I think maybe we could have freshened it up earlier maybe we could have looked at different areas we brought Kenny McLean on it left back when we had Max Aarons on the bench which I think was an interesting message to to send to him um yeah so it it all it still all felt a little bit disjointed but there was there was positives to cling to and certainly it was much improved on on a Stoke performance which was as dour as it has got this season for at least 65 minutes yeah I mean after our after our podcast on um whenever it was all the weekend where we effectively said we think um, the time has come that, that oh, after the Burnley game, wasn't it? Um, ahead of the Stoke game, we thought the time had come where we we aren't going to see the uh, we're not going to get the benefits of this um, of, of the qualities that this team can provide us, um, and thus we need to yeah we we basically need to say see you later to to Mr Smith if that's ever going to happen, even though neither of us thought it was going to happen. Then then the Stoke game happened. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, called that completely right. Other than my criticism of Ramsey, who, um, you know, then scored two goals, one of which was a tap in and one of which was a very, very good uh, one too. The kind of bravery of one touch play around the box that actually unlocks defences. So fair play to him. And I also thought Ramsey was excellent last night as well. 
Um, he st- still gave the ball away a few too many times in the first half for my liking, but it, it, he is—he he really does seem to be a, a player who, with the confidence that he obviously is getting from being routinely selected and um, and now obviously chipping in with goals, um, he he really does look like a, a good asset in that front line. I I would still pick Nunes ahead of him if Nunes could be played in the ten. I think Nunes as a ten will do more damage to more Championship defenses than Ramsey. However, you cannot t- you can you know. Smith has been proven right in the last two games of starting Ramsey in the fact that Ramsey has contributed two goals and a lot of good play last night. So fair play to him. Um, the my, my 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 challenge to to Smith's getting too much credit for for, for last night is after the after the the um, the final whistle in his, his press match conference. He said, "Yeah, we the first fifteen twenty minutes we." We moved the ball really quickly and we played with tempo and I think we showed what, we, what we're capable of. And you just think, yeah, that's what we've all been saying all season, Dean. Why? Whose fault is it if they only do it 15 minutes? I mean, whose fault is that? I mean, it, it, it simply cannot be down to individual mistakes or individual errors that you've got a group of, you know, like you just said, punt, we've had 19 games now, so a decent body of evidence. And in that 19 games... We, we have seen routinely Norwich turn up for seven minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, last night, 15 minutes. And, it, you know, it was really good. Like 20, 20 minutes in last night, um, sitting there with my with my good pals um, it, it, around me in the season ticket uh, people who were there every week. And we were sort of saying to each other, even if we lose this game, even if we stay in this division and we, and we lose the same numbers of games that we win, if we play like we've played in this first 20 minutes for most of the game, knowing that no team really does it for 90 minutes, even Man City don't do it for 90 minutes. Um, you know, we would really, really be happy with that. However, unfortunately, within a few minutes after half time, we had gone back to the Stoke first half style of playing really, really slow, boring, predictable, easy to to, to close down football. And um, I'll bring up um, the, the the Stoke game again because in the second half, I think the the way the the way we counterattacked and took those goals really nicely was brilliant but I do think it left some people with a really rosy complexion on on actually that Stoke game it's great that we won of course it is delighted I, I cheered all the goals uh, and and the, the the size of cheer on the third goal was a lot louder than the two before because the way that we had been attacking and counter-attacking we felt a goal was coming and it occurred to me that quite a lot often in the Dean Smith regime you don't necessarily know a goal is coming you, you because goals caught so sort of they just sort of happen because the pookie does something clever or suddenly the key or the or what the keeper makes a mistake or the defender makes a mistake it, it's very rarely because um we've done attack down the left didn't quite happen attack down the left didn't quite happen attack down the left this time he's cut it back and we've scored and, and it's that whole lack of repeatable pattern thing that, that we've been talking about so I, I i'm still scratching my head after those two games it's four points one a win that we should have got and we did uh, even though Stoke had should have scored three or four goals themselves, they had some people wide open at the back post several times and didn't hit the target. Um, and QPR, yeah, I appreciate that they are above us in the table, but whether or not they're going to be top six at the end of the season, they seemed they seemed a bit short of quality to me. Um, when they did have the opportunities, Gunn made two brilliant saves from sort of cross shots, um, and there was one excellent one where they hit the post, and then he was up again to get down to the left to save again. That was excellent. And that's the sort of thing which is why he will keep that place maybe for the whole season. Um, but I'm just going to scratch my head. He's not going anywhere. You don't sack a, uh, you don't sack a manager um, when you are still within a couple of uh, wins of automatic places. Um, and there is he would still, in, in any meeting with ownership or, or Stuart Webber, he would still be able to point to um that 15 minutes and say look at the chances we created look at look at what we did i i've done that i think you're almost into uh two camps are you a um our players are good enough to do that why can't we do it more often dean smith or well done dean smith you've got us to play football for at least 15 minutes do you agree with that uh, that's a really tough one i think i mean i'd say i'm definitely more in the the former camp um and that i think I am. I think fundamentally, we do have a very good squad. We've shown, as you say, in flashes that that they can play the kind of football that we would like them to play. Um, 
so it is a bit baffling as to why he seems incapable of getting that out of them on a consistent basis. Um, but I, I think my issue with Dean Smith, I think it goes right back to his appointment. And I mean, I know this is sort of um, hashing up old, old conversations and, and issues, but um, I just think the way that he was appointed felt like such um, sort of anathema to everything that had gone before and everything that we had been told about how the club wants to play and you know the whole like, I'm loath to bring up Farker because I know people think we're just kind of harking back to this uh this just dreamy era none of us can get over Farker and uh, but that's not really the point it's not him specifically but it's everything that he represented and the direction that the club appeared to be going in and he was this you know a bit of a wild card we didn't know much about him but I think in a weird way that sort of gave you more confidence because at least you felt like the club had done some work there um, and were making a very deliberate appointment um, because they thought that he would do what they wanted to do and fulfil the the aims that that they had and he fit this mould that they were looking for. Whereas with Smith, you just, you know, he was only free, what, like a month before, um, before the Norwich job came up. And then they sort of said, oh, you know, we've always admired him and it just worked out so well and it was so serendipitous. And But I find that just really hard to believe that he was really top of that list. And I just think ever since there's just been such a disconnect for me between what he represents and um, what I would, what I thought the club was aiming for and wanted to do. And so, and, and nothing, none of the football has changed my mind on that, you know, Nothing that has happened since um, has has made me go, oh, no, actually, he did, you know, I see where he fits in in this this grand plan now. Um, so I'm still, I'm just a, still a bit, a bit baffled by, by him and what he's, what he's for <laughs> in this yeah. club. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you use the D word, um, disconnect, uh, which kind of brings us on to the, the finance director um, interview of, of last week, punt, uh, which was just sort of own goal uh, when we already when there were already podcasts and, and, and conversations going on um, fan media last week, ours included, saying is this really the direction we want to go in, kind of from a coaching point of view, and why are the club so tone deaf to to to, to what we feel like uh, as, as fans, not as fan media. We don't we don't matter. Um, and then out comes that interview where randomly a finance director is weighing in on 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 something that really the sporting director or Zoe or someone else should be talking about. So do you want to speak to that, John? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, the the words that you've used there, tone deaf, kind of hit the the nail on the head for me. I think the club has a position in terms of the way in which it's it's talking to fans at the moment. Which look, I don't necessarily agree. Well. Not, not even necessarily agree with. I just don't agree with the way in which they're talking to fans at the moment. You know, be it cherry picked questions via Twitter to you know to then stick out a YouTube video. I don't think it's the most effective way of of talking to your supporters. Um, you know, in general. But look, it's the way they've chosen to do it. The club's point of view on this, because you know, I have spoken to people at the club relatively recently, is that actually Anthony Richens or Rickens, however we say that was put up for that video and because he is part of the executive team or the lead you know the senior leadership team however we badge that but all of those people you know so you know Anthony Richin, Sam Hall, Sam Jeffrey, Neil Adams, Stuart Webber, you know Zoe Ward whoever it may be should be able to talk with authority on any issue because they are you know kind of completely you know all of these people are completely across the business so I kind of get that logic. However, the way in which, you know, the disconnect was dismissed and it was dismissed. It was, you know, it was pretty much, well, we don't think it exists. Just really condescending. And I don't necessarily think, you know, Anthony Richards is, is trying to be condescending. I think that there is a, maybe a, 
an attitude at the club that oh no, it just doesn't exist. It's them not talking about it on social media, and actually, it's something that someone's dreamt up, and they're talking about it on podcasts. And the more people talk about it, the more you know it becomes a thing. But actually, it's not a thing, and all we need to do is win games of football. No, because we won a game of football against Stoke, and actually, I felt exactly the same, and I think lots of other supporters felt exactly the same. And it all comes back to the really salient point that Hannah was making there is that when Dean Smith was appointed, you know, a few weeks before that, when we were all living in a world of Daniel Farker and look, let's not, you know, revisionist about it. We were all pretty much calling for Farker's head, but we knew what the plan was. And we knew that actually, or we thought that if the club went and and axed Daniel Farker, that we had... I don't know, umpteen, you know, big old long list of ready-made replacements who are going to be able to come in and play some kind of similar version of Farker ball or expansive, attractive football that would kick us on. And what we got was Dean Smith. And what we could have got was Frank Lampard. I mean, fucking hell, uh, you know, that that frightens me (laughs) even more. But, you know, but actually, were were they the two best candidates out there? Was it that you know actually Knutson was was the man, and you know he, he couldn't be well, free from thing, the contract, and it one was thing on really that, bad timing. One, one thing. Sorry, on yeah, that. I'm going off on one. Go on. No, no, no it, I just because like, we haven't mentioned it for a very long time, and I don't know if we ever actually mentioned it at the time, but we were certainly told, um, uh, and I don't think we were allowed to say it, or we were certainly being careful about saying it that the reason they wanted Frank Lampard was similar to Smith in that the number two was really attractive. He was going to bring that guy. Oh, yeah, this guy from Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah, who who apparently was extremely highly thought of. And that was just as much a point. And because and because he was he was not available to be interviewed and not. He just didn't have as good a nickname as Shaky. So, you know, that that was it. (laughs) We were basically told that, that that was one of the kind of reasons that that, that 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 Lampard was a serious candidate because of this extra this sort of extra dimension of this great coach that he might be able to tease out a Chelsea that we couldn't get otherwise. Which is fair. And I but I think what I'm trying to say is that we had a plan. We all knew what the plan was. And now that it feels like the plan has changed and we haven't been told, you know, what it's been changed too and look i can try i can get on board with plans if if you tell me and you're honest and and, you know and people said at the outset of this project that you know we will be honest with you and we will talk to you and you might not like it but we will tell you what we're doing i don't really feel like we're getting that at the moment and look i don't want to you know use this podcast as a vehicle to to beat the club with a massive stick because ultimately there's some really good people that we know at the football club who get fan culture who get what it's all about who you know who, who get what we're you know what what Norwich City as a football club should be about I just think that's that's just it was as you say tone deaf and just to dismiss it it just it reeked of arrogance and I I think the club would probably be keen to point out now that it was just poorly worded and you know if they'd had their time again they they would put it in a different stance because look the, the actual thrust behind it was come on we all need to get together and we all need to be a bit more behind the lads and to go back to the QPR game, I thought that was probably the best home atmosphere that we've had all season, apart from the stodgy bit in the middle and towards the end of the second half. Actually, the atmosphere first half was really, really good and it surprised me. Maybe it was just a night under the lights. Maybe it was the fact that we came out of the traps relatively quickly, but it was quite a good atmosphere. But I think what, what Anthony Richards was trying to say is the players need you and we need you and come on board. And I just think it, it was poorly worded. And, and as I say, if they, if they could do it again, they they would communicate that in a slightly different way. The bit that was more concerning for me, and I know the Pink and Boys have, have kind of had their say back on this, and I would encourage anyone to listen to the last 10 minutes of the Pink and Podcast this week. Um, where no, listen, no listen to the whole podcast. Listen well, to the whole podcast. Listen, to, listen in particular to the last 10 minutes. Listen to, you know, like if you want to you know, the do the washing up, up the last 10 minutes. if you want, yeah, if you want to do your washing up whilst you listen to the first 45, great. Turn it up for, you know, and, and give your, give absolute um, dedication to the last 10, 15 minutes. Because Paddy is excellent on, on swiping back at the club. Always excellent. And, Love Paddy. And, and, yeah, Love and he, he is very, very good. But uh, it just, it, it worries me that, the club knew the importance and recognised the importance of having local media and fan media um, kind of in the circle of trust. And that's not happening anymore. And as far as we understand it, the club really aren't making any efforts to repair that relationship. And, and Archant and the boys at or Archant Newsquest, whatever we call them now, 
have have made attempts to do that and it just makes me sad because ultimately everyone loses off the back of this as Paddy had said you know kind of it's supporters that lose because they don't get the additional context that the Pinkham boys um, you know have brilliantly given us over the last few seasons so just it still feels like there's a lot that's that's broken that would be quite easy to fix and I think that's the thing that annoys me the most. So on that um, let me just uh, I don't know how many of our um, listeners also read the match uh, reviews um, on longcomenorris.com and obviously we, we share them on social media after, afterwards. I thought uh, Paul was on, on duties for, for last night's review um, and I, I thought that it was worth sharing and I don't think I've ever actually read it out verbatim before on a podcast but he just he just phrased this I thought so well. Look, um, He talks about being too old to care about a disconnect between the fans um, and the club um, and then goes on to talk about it quite a lot. So I'm not sure if he is too old, um, but uh, he, he effectively describes it thus. Quite simply, if you play good football, both will look after each other. But in life, we have choices. I work in psychology and we often say to clients that you can't change someone else's behavior, but you can change your own attitude, actions and behavior towards that person. In time, that may influence how they behave towards you. As a football club and a brand, you can choose to question why 25,000 plus fans aren't supporting the team as you'd like them to. Or you could choose to understand that's a battle you're never going to win because, well, 25,000 people. You could choose to deny a disconnect or you could choose to say you're open to exploring it. Fans can choose to boo Kenny McLean, wrong, or to support and motivate him, right. Dean Smith could choose to take 30 seconds of his time at the end of a match to applaud the fans. Or he could choose to make public statements about not doing that. Which would have been the better return on investment? Stuart Webber could choose to talk more often to us about the ongoing plan for NFC, NCFC in the way that so endeared him to Norwich fans a few years ago. Or he could choose to say nothing aside from a club interview. It's, I think he hits the nail on the head in that it is so basic how easily fixable some of these things are. And I was saying to um, the boys in the pub before the game on um, uh, last night that... I was really surprised because of the nature of the counter-attack goals and the fact that it felt there was some momentum building and that was the loudest we've cheered a goal at home for a long time, the third against um, Saturday and, 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 and Campbell being part of that and the subs being made to finally have the right players on the pitch he should have started with, etc. I, I thought that was a perfect time for Smith to break his, I'm not going to go and clap any fans. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to basically dissolve into the, into the subs bench. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Hannah? Are you, uh, do you agree with kind of Paul's sentiment that a lot of this stuff feels easily fixable? And, it, and, and do you agree with Punt's point that it does kind of come off as arrogant that, well, look, we'll run the way the club the way we want to run it. We'll give you, we'll throw you a bone when we feel like it. And if not, you just got to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I read Paul's piece this morning and yeah, I thought, thought that was absolutely, absolutely bang on. Um, and again, it just kind of goes back to what I was saying before is that you do feel like the choices that are being made, I mean, we don't understand them. None of us seem to get quite a lot of them because they're not being explained to us. The club doesn't seem willing to to do that anymore. And I definitely think there's a bit of arrogance and there's a bit of, um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist. I work on a sports desk. I know what that environment is like. I know sort of the editorial processes that are behind decisions that are made I know what what drives um writers and editors and and what they're trying I mean you know I work in a national paper it's a bit different from a local paper but um I know that that what the local the local press want to do is just to provide the absolute best coverage they can and they want to connect to the fans they want to connect to their readership um they do that by providing analysis and sometimes that is criticism and that that is just part of the job that's what journalism is that's what good journalists do and the fact that the club are seem a bit afraid of that uh i think is is worrying because you know the fact that they're withdrawing the access and um just sort of want to to put everything out through their own channels and they want to kind of control the narrative to that extent that makes me worried because it makes me think, why Why are they afraid of that? Why are they afraid of that scrutiny? Why are they afraid of that relationship? Um, I, I, I'm 99.9% sure that none of those local journalists are out to get anyone. They're not, huh. Their motivation is not to attack, is not to undermine. 
they just want to report on things that matter to the fans and they want to report um you know reflect the 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 supporter sort of sentiment and mood and that is a perfectly you know legitimate and honest thing to do and I I really liked Paddy's um yeah kind of clap back to that I had a just really really enjoyed that and obviously very much um understood where he was coming from so yeah I do I do find that um a bit bit worrying and um I don't really know know how how they sort of start to fix that I suppose beyond just you know repairing that particular relationship I think would go a long way for fans as well to to restore their kind of trust um and the sense that they are being listened to and that they they matter I think that is not the you know kind of prevailing feeling at the moment no but there was a there was a couple of meetings earlier this week wasn't there John um with regards to atmosphere um do you want to just uh, tell the listeners around what was said and uh, you know any momentum that might have, have, have gathered pace because you know you don't have to be the most eagle eyed to see there's not been a great deal in in the way of um organized activity rather than a uh, impaired view drummer yeah yeah now yeah the impaired view drummer yeah that came up so yeah so there was one meeting this week that I'm aware of which was specifically atmosphere centric at the club and look this is a recognition because along come Norwich Barclay and Norwich we used to have regular diarised meetings with the club which were all about improving atmosphere looking at what kind of displays that that we could undertake looking at all you know all the weird and wonderful stuff like you know pre-match music can we have flags in the stands can we have a drum you know kind of all the the obvious stuff I guess that that people would think and, and have seen that you know is the kind of thing that that fan groups have been doing up until maybe you know a year 18 months ago um and those meetings kind of dropped off a cliff with covid and then they never really got re-diarized so it was good that the club had recognized that the atmosphere at carrow road has been really poor this season you know and i I think they were at pains to say that and they brought a few supporter groups into the fold to talk about that so it was fairly well represented um you know with a number of support groups there and you know perhaps more importantly, the some of the right supporter groups there um, that discuss things. As you can imagine, and it's been a discussion on social media and Radio Norfolk and, you know, and Arch and the drum was a was a massive thing. You know, it was probably talks about for I reckon a good 45 minutes. And the club, in fairness to them, I think they realized that it was it was badly executed when they they had the impaired view drummer. Um what they are trying to do is to pave a way for a drum to be at Carrow Road on the regular in an area that supporters will be happy with and I think they knew that it that wasn't the optimal position but what they are also trying to do is they have a safety advisory group the local safety advisory group which is a number of different agencies being a kind of council and police representation um, are worried about it and are probably more worried about it than other football clubs because, you know, we are a one club county. So they are, you know, they're the only, you know, it's the only football club that they've got to look at, whereas, you know, it's different in, in other local authority areas. But the, the club have recognised that one, that the drum has had a transformative effect on atmospheres for away days. And, you know, you can reference Blackpool, you can reference Watford last season. And then there's other really, really good examples where the drum has been used to good effect. And they also recognise that, it should be, you know, kind of part of or at least trialled at at Carrow Road properly. But there is no easy fix in terms of, oh, let's just stick it at the back of the Barclay or, you know, kind of let's stick it in the river end somewhere or, you know, wherever it might be. It's going to annoy, I think they know, it's going to annoy someone. And I think what they're trying to do is to tentatively um, work around that. And they might talk about trials at under 21 games or perhaps some of the women's matches and what they're trying to do is to build a you know a test case or you know to build a body of evidence to to say to the safety advisory group look here's all the really good examples of where it's worked let's try and find a way to get it in the Barclay or the snake pit or or wherever it might be um so I think you know there's a lot of stuff that's said on social media where it's just like oh no the club don't want it or they've refused it look they invited the guy who's the drummer to, you know, Harley, the drummer to to the atmosphere meeting. And he was able to articulate his thoughts and his concerns and bring a load of really good ideas to the fore. 
And did he so, do it you know, by tapping of... on the table or did, did yeah, he... yeah, yeah, you know, no, yeah, he just worked in the medium of, of music, mate. You know, that, that yeah, was all written. he did. Yeah, he just, yeah, we just had to decipher what he's trying to say. No, but he, what, you know, look, he was really good common sense. He put together some ideas that I had never occurred to me and, and, you know, I'd never heard before, but actually his, his fan group put forward the idea of maybe moving the away fans and shifting them yeah, maybe that, yeah. towards the river end. I know some people have, have raised eyebrows at that. I think that's a really good idea if it could be achieved with it, with minimal disruption um, because then it gives the Barclay a bit of an opportunity and the, the snake pit to kind of, um, you know, sing together and, and maybe have a section of the South Stand that, that would get involved in that. And, you know, you've almost then got like three sides of the ground that, that would then be singing in unison. So the the difficulty with all of this the club is very committed to trying to do things either in a you know kind of in a more sustained way be it albeit through safe standing and probably maybe expectation setting of safe standing areas as to what that would look like but or you know also short term to improve the atmosphere it's just that it's very difficult to when the football is a bit dour and, and you know and discussions did did go down that road of look, we need to feel connection and we need to feel that, you know, we love this football club. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that we love this football club, but maybe that we love this group of players and that that we can feel connected to this manager. And, you know, there is, that general malaise is going to be difficult to break whilst we're not playing entertaining football. So if we can get more of the first 20 minutes against Preston, the first, I would say, 25, 30 minutes, um, you know, against QPR, you know, maybe the last 20 minutes against QPR, because actually, you know, we call it huff and puff, but we, we created some chances, you know, kind of we struck the woodwork and, and you know, we were starting to play with a higher tempo. Oh, 100%. If, if, if we do all of those things, the atmosphere will naturally come. And, but if we do the easy things as well off the pitch in terms of maybe humanising the manager more, giving him an opportunity to, to tell us what his plan is. You know, kind of other directors at the club come out and tell him. He doesn't want that. That's, that's the thing is. I don't but, understand. But, but this is the thing, right? So, so he he does understand it because, as we said, reference on a recent pod with Connor, he went on Radio Five Live and said that he gets it and said that he knows about that he needs a connection or the, the team need a connection with the fans. So, someone from the club maybe needs to sit him down and go, "Do you know what? You know, you're a bit arty in your press conference the other day because the fans aren't getting behind you." Here's what you might be able to do to, to you know, just get a yeah. few of them on board. And if you get, you know, that 200 in Blocky the Barclay on board, then a lot of other people will probably come with you because they'll start singing your name because no one's singing Dean Smith's Yellow Army anymore. Um, no, it's you know, a shame because it's quite. It sounds quite good because of the yeah, it does uh, sound quite good, yeah, yeah. emphasis yeah. on yeah. bang up for it. And I, and I sung it with gusto at the start of his his tenure because he's you know, well, good lad, gusto. Yeah, he's still going, is he? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want one one final thing I want to pick up on before we give our guarantees for Middlesbrough. Um, I'm I'm still you know I always Rotherham. get a bit. Is that what? Oh yeah, Rotherham next, isn't it? Is Middlesbrough next home game? Yeah. 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 Okay. Fine. I've I've done it. I've done a podcast for four years. <laughs> I still haven't got used to getting the fixtures in front of me. Um. So we'll give some guarantees for Rotherham. Um. But one thing I wanted to pick up. I, I always get a little bit disappointed when um when Norwich fans can't get on on social media because I you know am pathetic in that way and it shouldn't affect my mood at all. But I just. I don't like it when people who I respect and have met in real life and, and think have got a very decent, relatively sensible view of football have got uh, op opposing opinions like you always have in football. And if it was a pub discussion, it would be a relatively friendly sort of, nah, are we talking about Sarah was great? No, he wasn't. He was rubbish. And that would be the end of it. But instead, it tends it turns into kind of a subtweety kind of divide. And, and, and I think that I do think that that is a that is worse this season than it was even during the worst times of the when some of us had decided Farker we think you're you're damaging your your legacy you need to move on versus the the Farker diehards who, who really did hold, hold on the longest um and so for example there's there's you know not not naming anyone specifically but there there are a few people who who are kind of um making out that our oh, people have already made their mind up and 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 you know they, they they won't they won't change their mind and yet there are some let's be unfair and but, but but accurate old boys who who have made their mind up about mucking about with it at the back um and 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 get on with it and lump and i don't like campwell and i'll never like campwell or i don't like errands and i mean I, I had a um a verbal altercation with someone in the queue 
um, for the turnstiles um, before the Stoke game, who overheard me saying to uh, my pal who was coming with me that uh, Aaron's was probably not going to start because he had a concussion, so he couldn't train very much. And he said something along the lines of Aaron's being rubbish anyway. And I just had to point out, you know, because uh, I, I just read that stat about how, how much he hadn't missed games um, and how brilliant he has been for the football club. And I just basically gave him a diatribe until he just turned around and stopped listening because um, that's ridiculous. You can't slag off Max Aarons in front of me and not expect me to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't I don't think there are that many of the, of the Norwich fan base that have made their mind up on Smith to an extent that if there were more of the first 15, 20 minutes on Saturdays, sorry, the, last nights, than um, the, the, the kind of that stodgy 25, 30 minutes in the middle and all of the first half of Stoke, if we started to see more of those patches of play in exactly the same way as Carroll Road started to get a bit noisy and started to have a bit of momentum about it towards the end of the game last night. And it, we were on the edge of our seat last night and we did jump up when we hit the post because we thought we'd score. We were really bought in because they had done enough in that game in patches to have us with them and believe in them and think that a goal might be around the corner soon, which which gets you gets you up and gets you singing. Um. I don't think I, I think that they do those people who who basically say that do a disservice to to their fellow fans who might not be able to be as pragmatic as they feel they're able to be. I, I am very much in the, in a camp where I don't think Norwich can will get to their um, full potential on the pitch with Dean Smith in charge because of the body of evidence that players I have seen play brilliant football don't seem to be able to reproduce that under him for more than a few minutes in a game. that's I'm, I'm only going on evidence. I would be over the moon to be wrong because I would really want there to be lots and lots and lots of what happened last night because I really thoroughly enjoyed the first 20 minutes last night. I really enjoyed the counter-attacking goals against Stoke. And I would love for him and Shaky to um, be here for five years uh, and you know <laughs> take us to the Premier League and keep us there. Of course I would. But I, I fundamentally don't think that it's... Uh, I don't think it's right to just say that people have made up their mind and that they are unwilling to change it. If you, yes, if you're going into a game with a negative opinion of a player, you are going to count the number of passes they mis- misplays. Yes, if you're going into a, a, a game with a, an opinion of a, of a manager and you and you notice that um, uh, you notice that you're you, you know, you're doing worse things with the ball than you were for, for a chunk of the game, you're going to point it out because it supports your argument. But I fundamentally think that Norwich, I I do think it's a salvageable situation with Smith and the fans. I really do. I think the players are good enough to bail him out. And what it comes down to, I think, is in these games running up to the World Cup break, do the players put in enough of a shift for him to do to replicate what happened in the first part of of, of, of last night regularly enough? that actually we come back from the World Cup break with a bit more of a positive view of the manager in terms of, well, actually, the last few games going into the World Cup break and the fixtures are slightly more favourable for us running into that as well than they have been recently. We have had a tough run of fixtures recently. You know, may, may, maybe things can be salvageable and because he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So that that's another reason why I am one of those who are very, very happy to change my opinion and, and be Team Smith in. Because I'd much rather be supportive of the person we currently got because it just makes life more enjoyable. Um, or do you think that's nonsense, Pump? No. Uh, yeah, I, I'm completely with you in so much as I would I would much rather that Dean Smith win me over and that Dean Smith's style of football and his blueprint that, that he's trying to, to preach to his players starts to work. Because look, if we just look at... You know, brutally from a financial sense, we probably can't that afford well. to sack him. We probably can't afford to, you know, kind of sack his coaching team. So, you know, it almost becomes necessity that it works. And I wonder whether that's that is part of, or that was part of maybe a previous reticence to to consider that it was because financially, look, you know, the financial director set it out in in um, you know stark terms uh, around you know kind of our financial future. And and I should actually say, just going back to Anthony Richardson's video. And we've talked about the two minutes at the end, which were really disappointing. 13 minutes of it were really good and really intelligent and useful insight and context. So, you know, I think we should probably just put that on record. But two minutes of it were were an absolute shocker. But yeah, look, if Dean Smith, 
I, I'm I'm still of the view that I probably don't want him to take forward my football club at the moment, but I'm very happy to have my mind changed on that and to have it changed quickly. And if that starts at Rotherham on Saturday and we put in a blinding, you know, 70, 75 minute performance, then um, yeah, I thought you could I say will, if we put in a blind in seven nil. I was going to say you, you said seven nil. Are, yeah, that, yeah, I mean, that, yeah. That, if, that will, if we play seven nil, I'll accept it. anything less than that. No, <laughs> there's my guarantee, mate. Seven nil, no problem. Okay, um, Hannah, do you agree? Final thing on this, and I, I promise we'll let you get on with your day. Um, do you think that I am being um, ridiculous in in thinking that part of the reason that I am pessimistic about Smith winning me over and I want him to I want his team to win all the time because they're my team and they'll be my team before him and way after him but part of the reason I'm not sure he will win me over is because I don't think he gives a flying fuck if he does I don't think he cares I I just I don't think whilst as Punt says he has said on record that he understands that it can be helpful to a manager to have the player to have the have the have the fan support I, his behaviour suggests to me he doesn't give two flying hoots. Do you think that that is an unreasonable position for me to take? Uh, oh, leading question. No, I no, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable. I think, like you say, you are basing that on uh, on the on the body of evidence. You know, he. I mean, I listened to uh, that. Um, it wasn't really an interview, but the chat uh, when he went on Five Live. I listened to that and like, yeah, great. You know, he comes across as a, as a very personable guy. He was sort of saying, saying the right things, but, but you're, you're right. Why doesn't he say that to us? Why does he give, I mean, I don't tend to ever listen to his, his post-match comments very often because I sort of feel like he's not going to say anything remotely interesting. Um, And he just sort of repeats the same kind of lines and, uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, as, as I said, like I felt this all all along. I just don't know what what he does. I still don't really know what he does. I still don't really know what his approach is. Um, and he, like you say, he's he's made absolutely no effort to um, to explain that or to uh, yeah to to connect um, with this club really beyond the usual kind of pretty basic um, platitude type sentiments. Um, I don't, yeah. I, so no, I don't think it'd be unreasonable at all. I think that's a, a very, a very fair, fair position. Okay. So uh, aside from seven nil uh, punt, what is your guarantee? Uh, what say? So seven nil is the score. What is your guaranteed scorer uh, for Norwich on um Saturday. I mean, you can choose I'm any not gonna, seven goals. I'm not going to give you a guaranteed scorer, Tom. <laughs> I'm going to give okay. you a guarantee. I'm going to give you a guaranteed starter, Ooh. and that is Josh Sargent will come back into the lineup, and um, we will revert to four three three, and we will look all the poorer for it. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> Dean Smith, I think you got a, a job on to turn punt round. Um, he hasn't. Okay. He hasn't. Just play Kieran Dowdle in ten. Um, don't play him as a wide midfielder anymore. He will feed Pookie. Pookie will score the goals to take us to the Premier Ramsey's, League. Ramsey's I know, and that uh, look, I have and a. How I have could a prepared... you take him out? How could you take have him a... out after those last well, two performances? I can take him out after last night. In fairness, it was flashes and fits and starts. Mm. But, well, I think but... I think that's his thing. I, I think that is his thing. But he has put way. There's been way more of the flashes in the last couple of games. I mean, and Ramsey's a prime example of, of having a change of opinion. But he I... won't be our player. And this is the after this season yeah, he won't no, be our player. Nothing. So I'd much rather just invest in Kieran Dow and, and try and get him performing because there or is a Nunez. player in there. Or Nunez. Or Nunez. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy with Nunez as, as a ten or maybe the right side of a of an attacking midfield three. I want him higher up the pitch. Yeah. And so, then Adam yeah, I'm Brandon might that. stop writing nasty tweets about him. Right, okay. Hannah, <laughs> give me your guaranteed scoreline for Rotherham or Middlesbrough. I, you know, they might change the order of the fixtures <laughs> to, to make me look better. Uh, and a guaranteed event scorer or something. Ooh, um, I'm going to go... Uh, I'm just going to go for the old classic 2-1 um, yeah. to to Norwich. Desmond 2-1. Um, classic, yeah, exactly. Um, but you know what? I think... Um, I think Hayden might get sent off. 
I just feel he, like he, he loves has a tug back, the doesn't he? Line. He loves a tug back. <laughs> he loves a tug back. He loves a flying tackle, and he just seems just that little bit off the pace. Um, and he hasn't quite got up to speed yet. And I've sort of, yeah, been very nervous the last couple of matches while he's flying into to challenges, and, which is great. You know, on the one we need that. But um, I just don't know if he, yeah, he's not not quite up to speed yet, and so I can, I just can see him, can see him walking, unfortunately. Well, look, an away an away two one win when you when you're down to ten men is, is not bad, especially if you've gone back to four three three. Yeah, and I mean it can be like the eighty ninth minute or something. You know, that would be absolutely fine. I, I would be even more cross if if you know eighty ninth minute he then he then doesn't manage to make, make it. Known. I don't think there's any way he's still on the pitch after eighty nine minutes. I mean he looked spent at half time. Yeah, he you know, did he, well. He yeah, was, before half time, I thought yeah, he was he was, he was yeah, done. It, yeah. I mean, it's basically Less his fourth pre season game, wasn't it? But yeah, but, but he, I do think a key part of that good 15, 20 minute start was how solid Hayden and Gibbs looked. Yeah, at the at yeah, the agree with that. getting the ball and moving it. And moving and their movement, and this might be why he was so tired. Their movement, whilst our back four got the ball, their movement enabled Ben Gibson to have room to pass it more diagonally in front of McCallum instead of at McCallum. So a lot of the cause of our problem is we our, our centre backs will play the ball at our full backs, which then means they have to wait for it to get there, and then they have to work out whether or not they take a big risk and are really brave and turn in towards the the QPR player in this case, and then try and find a ball through. Whereas when the movement is such that the, there is space for them to play in front of that player to run onto, all of a sudden they are facing the way and a, a chance to play a progressive next pass to break through that line that then becomes available again. goes back to what we were saying with Connor. They must be working on trying to create those shapes and those spaces because that's all coaches do, right? It's their sole, their sole reason detra is to try and create more opportunities to do the things that go well. Just can't see it happening enough for me. Um, my guarantees is 4-0. Um, and uh, Pookie hat trick because um, it, my goodness me, there's some frustration built up in that boy. Uh, he's he's starting to do those random screams after missing chances. And I mean, he should have had a couple last night. There was he, a couple of times goal, when isn't he? there was a couple of times when he took an extra touch, which Pookie of of old doesn't do. Um, and even though it's not like he's had no goals this season, he he still isn't quite in that kind of rich run of form and. But but he had the ball in and around the area enough times over the last couple of home games that I feel like maybe that might be the start of him feeling like he is in form and feeling like he might not snatch at those chances when they come in. Mean, obviously, he's got to he's got to get a hat trick for us to get the four or the seven nil that we have guaranteed. Um, <laughs> or double hat trick seven nil. There you go. Ma- yeah, maybe maybe oh, Hannah's imagine, score prediction imagine. might be closer. So Hannah, anyway, you would explode. We've given you to heaven six... if that happened. <laughs> there we go. Uh, we've um, we've given you six guarantees, so one of them might happen. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for giving up your time this Thursday to talk to, talk to us. Punt, I acknowledge you exist. Um, and whatever happens, whether or not it is Middlesbrough or Rotherham next, do enjoy the game and do mind how you go. Bye.